Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6, and kids, you can be dismissed to go downstairs at this time. Matthew chapter 6, we'll be in Matthew chapter 6, looking at, starting at verse 5. May I ask a question, how many of you have ever worried about something? Anyone here ever worried about something? Okay. If you're worried about something, then my challenge to you is to come back this evening. Tonight I'm going to um, be teaching and preaching on how to handle worry biblically. Um, It's because I have it figured out. No, but because God's Word is very clear on that topic, how to handle worry and fear. So I encourage you to be back this evening, uh, and we'll talk about that this evening. Matthew chapter 6, and I'll start reading in verse 5. And read down through verse 8. He says, And when you pray, you must not look, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. God, I do pray as we look at this passage uh, this week and next, know that I am not as strong as I should be, and it's an area that I I pray that you help us uh, to understand this topic and understand what it is you have for us. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. We ask this in your name. Amen. We are going to be talking about prayer Uh, this morning and also this evening, and I uh, challenge you in your own life to evaluate your own prayer life. What is your prayer life like? Um, It's it's fun as a dad to sometimes hear your kids pray, Um, and uh, I read some different prayers that kids had, and I thought I would read some of these to you, because of the innocence of it. One child said this, Dear God, it must be super hard to love all the people in the world, especially my brother. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) Or this one, Dear God, my grandpa says that you were around when he was a little boy. I didn't realize you went that far back. (laughs) There is another one. Dear God, do you draw the lines around the countries? If you don't, who does? I've always wondered where they come from. Interesting one there. How about this one? Dear God, Did you mean for giraffes to look that ugly, or was it an accident? (laughs) Or this is my favorite. Dear God, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having fun being bad. (laughs) 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 I'm sure that's a thought that many have had. When you discuss prayer, there's a lot of uh, variables that come into it, and there's a lot It's hard to completely understand prayer. It's hard to completely understand how prayer functions inside the understanding of God. On one hand, you have the view that says God is sovereign, and so because God is sovereign, God's going to do whatever He wants, whether you pray or not. Prayer isn't really essential in determining God's actions because God's in control of everything, right? On the other hand, there's people that will say this, uh, I am going to pray because... Uh, God needs my prayers. That's a mystery. 
How do we solve that? How, how do we solve th- those things? How do we solve that idea that God doesn't really need me, but on the other hand, God asked me to pray, and the greatest of men can never really resolve God? How does our words and our thoughts impact a God who, who does what He wills? And I'm really not here to solve that problem this morning. But we must know that prayer and what Bible teaches us about prayer is that God expects us to pray. God expects us to be obedient whether or not we can fathom the mysteries of prayer. Whether or not we can fathom the mysteries of, of how it works. Ours is not, you've heard the phrase before, ours is not to reason why, but simply to obey. So as we come to Matthew chapter 6 again, the point of the entire sermon of the amount that Jesus was giving was to contrast the uh, true spiritual life with the standard that the Pharisees uh, had built up. And he had already told them that their righteousness was inadequate. In chapter 5, we went through that. You know, and all those phrases where he says uh, something to the effect of, you know, you heard this, what is what it was said, but really this is how you should live. And over and over again in Matthew chapter 5, he's trying to point out to the people that their righteousness is completely inadequate. In Matthew chapter 6, he's trying to tell them your religious life is inadequate. He picks three illustrations that he, out of their religious life that were very important to the Jewish people. And, and we talked about one last week, the giving. And he said, your, your giving is about their giving. The second one he gets into is what we're going to look at today is prayer. And then the last culture. He says to them, though, prayer was a major problem, a major part of the Jewish life. It was a central factor in their religion. I mean, if you were to ask, you know, who are some of the uh, what, what religion focuses most on the area of prayer? And it was the Jewish people. Now, rabbis used to say this, great is prayer greater than any other work. The rabbis actually would regret if they couldn't pray all day long. They said, I would rather sit in prayer. They understood the seriousness. They understood the gravity of prayer. They understood its complexity, but they, uh, they, they, they knew that it was important. No religion ever had a greater standard of prayer than the Hebrew people. And they placed a high priority. Unfortunately, as we've seen as we look through the Sermon on the Mount, in almost every dimension of their religion, they had created uh, within the command of prayer a focus on themselves. They had uh, allowed their praying to deteriorate to hypocrisy. I want to look at for a few moments uh, this morning. I want to look at two aspects. The first thing that we want to look at is the is the prayers of a hypocrite, and then the second part is we want to look at a prayers of a person who is humble before God. We see first of all that prayers of a hypocrite. First thing is we notice is their prayers had become ritualized. Look at verse five, if you will. He says, "When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they stand. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others." had replaced what God wanted, which was a humbled, poured out soul before Him. They had become very ritualistic in everything they did. And then really, honestly, today, ritualism of prayer is, is, is something we see in religion where uh, ritualistic prayer was common. That was what was common for them, but really is not a prayer of, uh, of longing before God or of thankfulness before I think we've seen that we've often replaced prayer uh, with something that is far with a routine. For a Jew, that's what they did every day. They had rituals that they prayed. 
prayer that was called the Shema. It was something that we see in Deuteronomy where, where it says this, Hero, but yet they would add to that. And there was passages in Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus. It was something that they uh, just did on a regular basis. In fact, uh, I was reading that uh, they were white. They had to pray these prayers. What do you mean? What does that mean? You understand that when, uh, when the sun comes up, before the sun comes up, and it's kind of dark, and, and it's hard to distinguish colors sometimes. So you look at something, you're like, what color is that? You can't really tell. Then the sun comes up, and you see the difference. They were, that was what they were taught. Before they could tell the difference between colors, they had to pray these prayers. And then, before they could no longer make out the colors at night, they had to pray them again. It was a ritual. So every morning, every night, that was their ritual. They would stand up and they would pray these prayers. They had a second group of prayers that were called the Shemona Ezra, and this was a group of 18 prayers that they would pray every morning and every afternoon and every evening. Now they had abbreviated them so they could, you know, if they ran out of time, they could do the shortened version. But basically they had these prayers, and these were all topical prayers that they would pray. For example, I'll give you one of them. This was of the 18, this was prayer number four, which was the petition for knowledge. And this is what they would say. You show favor to a man of knowledge and you teach understanding to a mortal man. Be gracious to us. A mind of understanding and intellect is from you. Blessed are you, Adonai, who favors us with knowledge. Obviously, that's not a bad prayer. But it had become uh, just a part of their routine and a part of their ritual. There is nothing, in fact, there's some people, some of you are this way where when you pray, you like to have your Bible open and, and that's, that's okay. But what had happened was, is it had gone from what it should be to what, uh, first of all, there can be a pure, honest communion before God. If our heart is right, you could do it even if you're reading prayers, even if you're re- quoting prayers. It's still something you can do, but it needs to be uh, understanding of an honest, humble heart before God. A communion. That wasn't the case with the people that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5. It had gone to something different. There's two other approaches that can take, and the one we see here in Scripture is a show of piety. If your heart uh, is not right, then what it becomes is a demonstration of how good of a person you really are. And it had gone beyond just um, an honest assessment before God to... A, a communication before God that God didn't even need to be included. It was just a show of who they were. There was a discussion one, pray, one time at a church and about how to pray. One deacon said, the proper way for a man to pray is down on his knees. One of the pastors was standing around and said, no, 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 no. That's not the way to pray. We should pray standing straight up with outstretched arms, with eyes towards heaven. Another one, uh, an elder that was standing said, no, no, no. That posture is too proud for, for God. What we should do is we should be laying flat on the ground with our eyes closed and our head bowed to the ground. Finally, there was a farmer that was sitting there. Last year I fell in Joe's well, head first. With both my heels sticking straight up and my head buried in the ground, I done prayed right then and there. It was the best prayer I ever prayed. The prayingest prayer I ever prayed, standing on the top of my head, and God heard me. <laughs> I think that's sometimes what we forget. We get into a routine and a ritual, and it just becomes a show. 
Maybe it's not even a show for others because maybe it's just you, but it's a show and it's not really what God intended. And he says here, don't be like them. In prayer, the third way we can have prayer is is an act of religion. A lot of you that maybe say, you know, I'm not really praying in a phony way. I'm not doing it for a show. It's not through it as fast as you can. You just want to get over with it. There's two extremes to their sin. There's the one over here that's pride that makes it about a show. That's Jesus addressing. But the other one is, is kind of indifference. When's the last time you actually sincerely prayed to God? When's the last time you actually had a conversation with your Heavenly Father? See, for the Jews, their prayers had become ritualized. But not only that, the second thing is their prayers were empty. Empty phrases. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Empty. Everything. And they had developed these prayers and they, they became part of their habit and they were special prayers for special occasions. And something would happen and the rabbis would sit down and write a prayer and tell the Jews, you need to say this prayer. And it didn't matter what it was, they would write a prayer. They had prayers for light, they had prayers for darkness. They had prayers for fire. They had prayers for lightning. They had prayers for seeing a new moon. They had prayers if they saw a comet. They had prayers for rain. They had prayers for tempests. They had prayers for the sea. They had prayers for lakes. They had prayers for rivers. They had prayers when you got good news. They had prayers when you got bad news. They had prayers when you bought new furniture. They had prayers when you got rid of old furniture. They had prayers when you left the city. They had prayers when you were walking on the road. They had prayers when you entered a new city. But what something happened along the way is they began to rattle off these prayers and they were empty. The intent was everything that we do should be, should be in the presence of God. Everything that we say every be in the presence of God. But somewhere along the way, they'd become committed to the predetermined pre, uh, prayers, predigested prayers instead of a communion with God. And it had become something that was empty. Something that was vain, and that's what Jesus is addressing here with them. But not only that, their prayers were empty, but their prayers were also long. You notice it says in verse 7, talking about the Gentiles, it says uh, they heaped up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. In Mark, talking about the uh, widows' houses, that's another topic, he says, notice, and for pretense make long but there's something wrong with a long either God or yourself or others. The religious leaders used to say that whenever a prayer is long, that prayer will be heard. And the implication is that you've got to spend the first few minutes of your prayer just getting God's attention. And then He'll hear you. And we've somehow maintained some of those same concepts And it's easy to confuse uh, verbosity with holiness. What is, are your prayers? Have they become just about allowing you to hear yourself speak? Or are they a relationship with God? Notice the fourth aspect of their prayers of of a hypocrite is their prayers were repetitive. He makes mention of these empty phrases The tendency was to pick up the vain repetition from the pagans. The pagans of that time, their approach was they kept repeating themselves until God got tired of hearing them and then they would answer them. 
You think of an example of this, you can think of the story where Elijah is, is in his confrontation with the prophets of Baal. Remember, and they're up on the mountain and, and they've made the altar and, and they both have an altar and they're praying for, for fire to come down from heaven. You remember the, the, the pagans went first, the false prophets went first and, and they began praying and the Bible tells us all day they prayed. They prayed over and over again. You remember, remember what Elijah did? Remember, uh, remember Elijah's kind of egging them on? And he says to them, he said, well, maybe you need to pray louder because he's on vacation. Or maybe you need to pray because he might be asleep. Maybe he's not hearing you. And they prayed all day long and they kept saying for, uh, prayers for Baal to hear them. Hour after hour, they mumbled the same phrase over and over again, trying to wake up their God. And the Jews had somehow, uh, over time, had taken that practice and that principle and brought it into their own lives. And, and the Jews began to pray, do that. And they would pray these prayers repetitively over and over again. In fact, there was prayers that, uh, that uh, they would have where they would, they would pray about the name of God. And instead of just saying, God, you, you know, you're good, they would add you know, 20 adjectives before God just to make themselves feel better. And it became repetitive. Jesus is addressing that here with them. He's saying, you're, you're, you're praying and you think just because you go long, just because you say the same thing over and over again, that God's hearing you. And that you're doing something right. The last aspect of a hypocrite's prayer we see in this passage, he says, they prayed to be seen by others. We see that in, in this passage. If, if you look in the passage, look at verse 5. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand. You know, that's a good thing. <laughs> it sounds like a good thing. They love to stand and pray. They love to stand and pray. But notice he goes on and he says, uh, people who love to make a scene of their giving, and he says they've already gotten their reward, which is basically they want to pat themselves on the back. And he's saying here in this passage, if that's your desire, because what he's coming back to is the same thing we talked about last week. The question is, why do they love to pray? Do they love to pray because they love God? Do they love to pray because it allows them to feel that they've been ushered into the presence of a holy God? Do they love to have communion with their sweet Savior? Why do they love to pray? They love to pray because they love to be seen. They love to call them hypocrites. And what do we say a hypocrite was? A hypocrite is an actor playing something that they're not. And that was the problem, is their motives were wrong. They were pretending. And now you say, you know, this isn't a problem to me. I don't like to stand up in front of people and pray. And maybe that's you. But maybe, really, honestly, the opposite is true as, as well with you. And that is, the reason that you don't like to stand up in front of people and pray is because uh, you're actually being proud. It's not about who hears you. It's not about uh, uh, people listening to what you have to say. It's about a relationship with God. So the question is, what are your motives? Our prayers are not to be offered to men, but to God. Pride can't invade it. I have learned that there's no holy... You know, pride can follow us even into the presence of God. Presence. We worship Him. We find ourselves being tempted to worship ourselves. The author said it this way. He said, we tend to think of sin as we see it in the rags and in the gutters of life. We tend to look at the drunkard, the poor fellow, and say, there is sin. That is sin. But that's not the essence of sin. To have a real picture and true understanding of sin, you must look at some great devoted saint, 
Look at him there on his knees in the very presence of God. Even then, the temptation is to think about himself. That is the true picture of sin. I mean, think about it, even in Jesus' life, when was he most greatly tempted? The Bible tells us he was most greatly tempted in two places that I can think of. Number one, he was most greatly tempted when he was in the wilderness communing with his father. When was the second time? The second time was when he was about to be offered as a sacrifice and he's in the garden praying before God. Even Jesus Christ found his greatest moments of temptation in prayer. There's no sacred ground for Satan. In the last prayer, the enemy is there as well. And Jesus is saying that the Pharisees may have been praying, but they had fallen into the same thing. You've fallen into Satan's temptation. You've allowed yourself to be out some of these characteristics of a prideful hypocrite. Prayers of a humble child of God. What are the prayers of a high... Notice, if you will, at verse 5. It says in verse 5, the first four words, and when you pray. Look at verse 6. But when you pray. Look at verse 7. And when you pray. What is the huge assumption that takes place there? The huge assumption is that we're praying. It doesn't say if. It says when. And we said the same thing last week with giving. And There's an assumption that God makes that as a child of God, this is what we're going to do. And as a child of God, we need to be people that are praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says what? Pray without ceasing. Uh, we see that over and over again in Scripture. The idea is that prayer is to something that to be constantly on our minds. Constantly on our hearts. And so he's saying, when you pray, it should be something that you're doing. As a Christian, how often do you pray? How often is it a part of your life? It's not just good enough to say, okay, I pray before the meal, thank you, Lord. Or I pray before I go to bed. Or I pray in the morning if that's my time with God. But it's a constant uh, time of prayer. It's a constant going back to God because it's a relationship. Remember, prayer involves talking and listening to God. How often are you doing that? If I'm only talking and not listening and hearing, then I'm not really praying. Someone once said this, prayer occurs when you depend on God. How often are you depending on yourself? And uh, as I said, we're going to talk about worry tonight. We are to pray. When a thought creeps in that you know shouldn't be there, do you stop and pray? When you're dealing with a situation at work where you're dealing with a frustrating person, do you stop and pray? When you're at home parenting and your kids are acting a way that is frustrating you, do you stop and pray? Are we people who are constantly going to prayer? Jesus said we are to pray. Second thing is we are to pray with sincerity. It's not about, as we said, it's not about the length, it's not about the particular words, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. He says God sees us in secret. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, prayer is not about impressing God or about impressing others. Prayer is about being honest with yourself before God. Being honest with who God is and who we are. That's worship. That's saying, God, I know You are holy and I know I am not. But Lord, I want to talk to You. And I want to admit to You my sin. I want to admit to You my failures. There's a sincerity there. 
I, I find it uh, humorous at times, even with my own self, where I, and I, I start praying, and, and before long I find myself being, being haughty. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, how, how can I do this, God? You, are, you, you see through that. Prayer is not about uh, anything but our heart open to prayer. Is prayer. We are to pray to our Father. If you notice in verse 6, it says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. He talks about prayer in many places, and we see, as we said a few moments ago, prayer is something we're to do continually. But here specifically, he says, When you pray, uh, notice what it says there. Uh, it's, it's in secret. It's to your Father. We pray too many words in public and too few in private. There's a uh, different and I know the truth, and we can be honest with one another. We don't have to... Uh, example, um, if you've been parents, you've probably done... And I'm talking to my wife, and we're having a conversation. Any of you ever done that? Okay. Uh, my, my wife and I, you know, used to spell, but that doesn't work anymore. So then we started, we started using um, uh, different code languages. We started using Pig Latin, if you understand what the, how that works. The problem is my son knows how to use, do that better than I do, so my wife would say something, and I'd be like, what? What are you saying? And, and my son would tell us. <laughs> that doesn't work anymore, so... Uh, you know, you try to do whatever you can, and, and there's, there's kind of a code that you get into. But you know what? When my kids go to bed and my wife and I sit down, we are free to talk about anything. And there's an openness and a transparency that's awesome. There's not, there's not a worry about, you know, the kids hearing me or anyone else hearing me. There's this, okay, it's just you and me. And that's the idea of what he's saying in this passage. He's saying, when you pray, when you have your time, it's just you and God. Just get alone and pray and be alone with God and share with Him your heart and He in turn will share with you His heart. It's this, this, this uh, freeness. I'm free to be uh, honest when I pray alone with God. Why? Because God already knows my faults. I can sit down with God and I can, I can share with Him my faults and He's, yep, I know that. And I love you anyway. We talked about last week about, uh, about worrying about when you give that we don't, don't do it just so people can see. And, and I made a comment in our growth group on Wednesday night that to me, that has been the more and more I dwell on the fact that, that I don't have to worry about what people think about me. All I have to worry about is what God thinks about me. That is such a freeing thing. It's such an a unbelievable burden lifter that I can live my life in such a way where it's, you know what, God, I want to please you. And this person might not like it. This person might... Our prayer life, is that's what it's about. It's, it's a freeness before God that we are having a... But He still wants us to come to Him. We see that being a person, and we are to pray in faith. Notice what he says, what it says in Mark chapter 11, Therefore I tell you, we are to pray in faith. Someone said this, prayer is the... We pray in faith, believing that God is able to accomplish His will. You know, God already knows, so why do I have to pray? And God wants us to pray. That balances. Uh, sometimes we still struggle. 
but we keep going back to Him in prayer as well, this causes us to trust Him even more. And along with that is expectation. We are to pray with expectation. Notice what, according to His will, He hears us. When you pray, here's the thing, the answer might be no, the answer might be not yet. Or wait. He says in this passage, he says you can pray with confidence knowing that uh, anything that a prayer is going unanswered. I have six things. I don't have them on the screen, but if you want to write them down, why do prayers go unanswered? Number one, because uh, they're never offered. Number two, because they're offered with the wrong motives. He says you ask, but you ask amiss. In other words, you ask out of your own selfish desires. Number three, uh, they, they are go unanswered because they're offered while we're in sin. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Number four, because they're, they're flippant, they're casual, and, and they're not fervent. The Bible says that we're to pray with a fervency. What is that? With a passion, with a desire. Believe God will answer. Scripture says we lack faith. And to do it. Remember what Jesus said, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move this mountain. How often... Do we lack faith? I know I do. They're offered, number six, but we don't want to be submissive to God. He says in this passage that we just looked at here, he says, if you ask anything according to his will. Oh, we want to ask. But we don't want to be submissive to his will. You know, how many times have... Have you prayed something and you say, okay, God, you didn't give me the answer I wanted. But maybe you realize down the road it was the right answer. And, and so what should that cause us to do the next time we pray? It should cause us to have a confidence that, God, I can come to you and you're going to give me an answer. And Lord, Lord, help me to adjust to your will. Help me to have the right attitude so that I can uh, be okay with your will. When God does it, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, read you a quote by John Calvin, and uh, obviously Calvin had some different uh, uh, di- different opinion than maybe some people, but uh, he said this. But some will say, does he not know without a monitor both what our difficulties are and what is needed for our interest, so that it seems in some measure superfluous to solicit him by our prayers, as if he sleeping, is sleeping until aroused by the sound of our voice. Those who argue thus attend not to the end for which the Lord taught us to pray. It is not so much for his sake as for ours, he wills indeed, and He does what He wants, as is just, uh, that do honor to be paid Him by acknowledging that all which man desires or feel to be useful and pray to attain is derived from Him. In other words, what He's saying there in that, pa- and, and that quote is, we pray not to connect God, get on our knees and say, God, do Your will so that I am blessed. We- and Lord, help me to see that. Notice what He says again, and do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. <laughs> goes back to the very beginning of what we said. Why do we pray if God already knows what we need? And the simple answer to that is because it's obedience. 
We humbly obey what God asks us to do. Do I fully get that? No. But our directive from God is to obey. Let me ask you this question. How is your prayer life? Is your prayer life mundane? Is your prayer life rehearsed? Is your prayer life uh, boring? Is your prayer life ritualized? Is your prayer life uh, disobedient to God? Or is it something else? Is it ritual? Is it repetitive? Is it an uh, act for God? Or is it a relationship? Jesus says it's to be a relationship. It's to be something done in secret, in private. Next week we'll get into what's known as the Lord's Prayer. And, and there's always that you know, hesitation of making the Lord's Prayer ritual. And that's not what God ever intended. And so next week we'll look at what, what was the pattern He set for us as a prayer.